Look, man, be honest. You're listening because you know we say a whole bunch of crazy shit. This cool. I like it, man. It's all right. That's all right. Adult language and themes ahead. Listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, keep your arms and legs inside the car at all times, because we're going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. Hang on, stop and go, throw yourself into the flow. What's the worst could happen? I guess you never know, you give it up. Give it up. Hey, I'm Joe. I am LeJohn. And I'm Matt, and welcome to the season one finale of the Going There podcast, where we've been putting taboo topics back on the table for 25 wonderful episodes. Can you guys believe it? Has it been that? that many? It's been that many. Damn. I know, it's crazy. 25. Our podcast can rent a car. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So we're going to spend a little bit of time later talking through what we've covered over the season and what we've taken away from the experience. But right now, let's jump into what today's topic is all about sex and taboo culture we've covered the topic of sex throughout several episodes here and uh as joe cracked in one of our recent ones why do you care what i'm doing in the bedroom why are you obsessed with me (laughs) and it's such a good question because as long as it's between consenting adults and it isn't abuse why do people care i guess that's kind of the question that i always ask and always wonder because they want to be like those yeah. people. I'm saying it's boredom. It's like people are bored with their boring lives yeah. and there aren't any new episodes of Two and a Half Men or Big Bang Theory. <laughs> so they're like, what can I do? I can judge people. Yeah. Mm, yeah. What are you doing? I'm judging it. Yeah, judging that shit. Yeah. You know what I think about that? Man. <laughs> <laughs> and you're out there having fun, doing you, enjoying yourself and everything. And I'm, I'm in here uh, living this, like Joe said, this boring life. And, and I wish that I could jump outside of this boring life. But either one, I don't have the balls to do it or, or I'm just stuck on this type of stigma that I shouldn't be doing and everything. But meanwhile, there's somewhere within you. I don't care if it's in your pinky toe that says, man, I sure wish I can be like that girl or that guy. Yeah. How dare you go have fun when I'm in this sexless relationship, right. this marriage? Yeah. Because we play into the cultural norms. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to talk with a few different guests, some of them who have their own podcast about sex and kinks, and some of them who are just really interesting people who we've come across and trying to get this episode together. So in mainstream culture, we're used to exploiting these things more so than exploring them. You know, it's typically... Look at this fetish. Isn't it weird? As opposed to, hey, most of us have these urges and desires, and that's okay. We should be instead asking, what floats your boat? Hmm. Right? Yeah. You ain't kidding, man. What, what, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with just like, you know, wanting to absolutely know all the things that, that your partner finds pleasure in? Shouldn't you want to know that shit? Instead right. of like, you know what? I also think it's like it's, it's like fear. Like, you know, I, I want to know, but if I find out... um Damn, what if I can't fulfill all these things? And then that's where the, 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 the once again, the fear comes in as far as shit. Do I want to expose what I really, really 
uh, desire to what these avenues I want to go down and everything with this with this individual who I'm supposed to be like monogamous with and, and just be us. Is, <sighs> is it the fear of finding out about them or yourself? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's kink should be tolerance. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like too much for me. <laughs> you know, you got swingers, furries, plushies, hot wives, BDSM, orgies, open marriages, polyamorous people, and everything in between. So we're going to talk about how we view sex, how our guests view sex. And it's not even about the salacious, gross detail. It's about trying to admit to ourselves that this mainstream cultural norm that we agree is about sanctioned sex and monogamous sex, it's kind of a myth. Um, not that monogamy can exist, not that the normal sex can exist, but there are a lot of people not living their truths, as LeJohn says oftentimes. And after that, then we're going to bang on the air. So call us five through seven. Come on now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people calling into the podcast. <laughs> You know, me personally, I don't believe there is a cookie cutter mold that works for all couples other than obviously the two staples of love and respect. And of course, in the midst of that communication. So today for me, I'm really looking forward to myth bust some of these things because you find out, oh, these people are into this and you're like, well, they're obviously freaks and it doesn't really work and someone's going to get hurt or whatever it might be. I think we need to grapple with it ourselves and look inward and go, you know, maybe I'm into this. Yeah, I'll bust your myths. You want to see me some busts of myths? Do we have to you. copyright this? Because <laughs> Mythbusters? Ooh. What? Uh. Oops, fucked up. So I want to introduce our first guest for this episode. They are the hosts of the Pink Kink Podcast. Two awesome ladies we've had such a fun time chatting with online, Princess Rara and Dara the Electro Khaleesi. Welcome and thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having us. We're so excited. Tell our audience why they should listen to your show. What's it about? Well, we like to think that we're fun and educational. We talk about the pretty, twisted side of kink. And so we want people to understand that kink is fun and healthy for you. The whole podcast is just us sharing our experiences and the lifestyle. I've been in it for 17, 18 years now. And I've been in it for six years. Since you were both in your, like, grade school? Yes, exactly. Sure. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. You're the host. <laughs> they're, they're always wearing grade school uniforms. Yeah. I wore grade school uniforms to kink events, so I'm just saying. I heard one of you was a Catholic schoolgirl. That'd be me. <laughs> what did I tell you when you told me that? <laughs> uh, basically, you actually wanted to know if that was how it got started. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. There is a little bit of that uh, stereotype there. The Catholic schoolgirls I knew were freaks. And I'm going to say it's it's pretty unfounded. Really? Oh, yeah. It has nothing to do with it. I didn't even comprehend it until I was in my late teens. But, um, you know, a lot of people think that it's because, you know, you go to Catholic school, you get paddled, you get, you know, hit by nuns. And, and since you're in your developmental years, that's where everything comes from. Nope. Tell us about how you first got started. I will confess. I read Fifty Shades of Grey and said, that is fucking hot. <laughs> I need to learn more about it. But what if Grey could be pink? Well, I did do my house in Fifty Shades of Grey and pink. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I read about it and I thought, wow, that is some super hot shit. And I need to learn more about it. 
And unlike Dara, I dove in head first into the deep end of the pool and said, yay, let's do this. I'm more of a toe dipper. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I actually started out with a friend of mine from high school. We'd known each other five, six years at that point. And uh, this is a little embarrassing, but since it's in the first episode, I guess I can put this out there. I had uh, told him that I had shaved my pubic hair in the shape of a heart. And he wanted to see it really, really badly. So I told him, uh, no, I don't think so. You, uh, you don't really deserve that. And he goes, oh, come on, I'll do anything. And I was like, really? And I ended up making him take a shower in front of me. And I told him exactly what to do and how to do it. And he was just completely red head to toe, but loved it. And we kind of went from there. And he was my very first DS partner. When you say DS. Is that a Nintendo thing? <laughs> DS stands for domination and submission. Oh, gotcha. two middle letters of BDSM. So while your audience is probably hip to all this, ours, well, actually, I, okay, I'm ignorant to it. So just. I was going to say, you may have way more listeners in the lifestyle than you have any clue about. And, and when you say community, is it specific to BDSM? Is it specific to any of those things? Because there, I know there are different, you know, some people are in the swinging community and, and they're like specifically in that, or they're in the furry community or they're whatever it might be. All of those, I would say, would be under the kink umbrella because, well, they're under the alternative lifestyle umbrella. Okay. Kink is a little more you know, getting beat or doing electro or rope or any of those kinds of things. So swinging is not considered a kink. Swinging is... Well, swinging is in sex. Yeah. This isn't about sex. I don't have sex with the people that I'm playing with. There's no orgasms at the end. I'm going to do a scene tonight and I'm going to have a friend beat me. And he's going to beat me with paddles and crops and a spiked paddle so that I will be bleeding. Wow. And... There will be no orgasm at the end of this. I'm not touching anything. You're more, it's more of a performance art. It's uh, similar to people who are crazy and run marathons. Okay. I don't run marathons. <laughs> I well, do it sounds like you're play. running a type of marathon this evening. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. And it's the same endorphin rush right. that you get from running a marathon without actually having to run 26 miles. We actually call this <laughs> our drug of choice. You actually get high off of it. And that makes a lot of sense because especially the people who are involved in the communities, uh, from what I've heard, they're like, sex is only part of it. Right. It's not all sexual. It's a lifestyle. Uh, Rara is open and she, she'll she go out in public and, you know, buck naked. And Dara- If they'd let me, yeah, I would. <laughs> if they let her, I'm sure they will. And, and Dara likes to stay anonymous, which would be totally me. Yeah. Right. Within the area that we are, you know, people know me. I've been doing sure. this for a while. But as far as like the more wide community, no, I don't. I don't want to be known. And I've got my foot in the swinging. Uh, my my male partner is a swinger, so I go to swinging events with him on occasion. And I'm what we call monogamish. I'm married. I only have actual sex with my husband, but I will play and kink with other people. And so will he. What would your uh, husband consider cheating? Like if you cooked a man a meal or something? No, not even. We have a, we have a friend who's a sub who comes over and does our laundry and he'll stay for dinner and my husband will cook for him. Why did you feel like we need to put this out there? We need to start a show. 
I basically had been listening to a couple of podcasts about kink because I love podcasts. And I found myself screaming at the uh, radio a lot while I was listening because either they weren't teaching what I felt was the right, safe, healthful ways to do things, or they were missing a lot of the aspects. They, they, what we call kink differently. So they were kinking in the privacy of their own home. And we're out there. We kink all the time at public events. We have a large community here in the DC area that we play with. And we just come at things from a totally different angle. And I wanted to share that with everybody and get them to understand why this is such a great lifestyle. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> She's my sidekick. Side chick? Side chick. I like that. <laughs> She's my side chick. <laughs> Dara, you might be um, similar minded because I was raised Catholic originally and moved around. It's like you're taught that sex is this, I don't want to say bad thing, but essentially the only person you're allowed to really talk about it with is your priest and your partner. And that is your spouse. And at least on my end of the world, that's especially in the evangelical world that I was eventually raised in. But the thing is, and I, I mentioned this in an earlier episode, it's like two blind mice leading each other. Yeah. <laughs> if you aren't allowed to discover and explore other parts of sex and human anatomy and all of these things that we don't know about, other than, like you said, in that, in that narrow kind of experience with that one person, then you don't even know what you like and don't like, right? Right. We're really big into trying new things. We, our entire community is big into going to different events and learning. We do 101 classes. We do, um, what else would you call them? Like just classes on particular types of things that we do. We'll do events where we'll demo. Um, I've demoed to a event of like over 2000 people. Wait, now when you say demos, like, oh. like how to... I have my own dungeon in my house. In fact, that's where we're talking to you from is my dungeon. I see the pink whip behind you for yep. sure. Every single toy she has is pink. It's crazy. Things can be pretty and still owie. I was going to say it doesn't look like a dungeon. So what would what makes it I actually uh, thought it was like your a kid's playset behind you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of the myths that we're trying to bust. A dungeon is not this dark, scary place. Right. It's, it's well lit. <laughs> fun happens here. I mean, if you pay, if you were here tonight during the party, then you would be hearing laughter and people having fun. It's. It's we love what we do. Okay, but my head is actually blocking the X oh, frame. The, oh, the St. Andrew's cross. Yeah. Oh, we we can't oh, see yeah, it. Yeah, we it's can't see out. it on our end. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll move it for a second. Can you see now? Oh, all right. Now that looks a little bit more like a dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do classes on impact 101, how to safely hit somebody. Uh, rope 101, how to safely tie somebody. What's the first rule of kink club? Tell your friends. <laughs> well, the first rule of kink club. Uh, anonymity. You can talk okay. about what you've done. Just don't mention names. And then are there any other like taboos that or etiquette that people who are first starting out should try to follow? Yes. <laughs> okay. Here's my soapbox. Do not touch anybody or anybody's equipment without permission. Number one big rule. When you say equipment. We don't mean just their private parts. We mean- But their actual the, toys and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah okay. the actual toys. So 
when I do demos at events or at parties or whatever, I'll have a station set up and I'll have all of my, I've got glass, I've got metal, I've got, you know, paddles, I've got all kinds of stuff. And my stuff is live. It, I have electricity running through it. Wow. I don't want, it's a safety issue. I don't want somebody coming over and touching it and one, possibly breaking it. And two, it's just rude. And how is um, public kink better than private kink? Or are you saying if it's private, it isn't considered kink? Like champagne needs to be from champagne. I, it's not that one is better than the other. It's if you're new, I think public is best because that means you're doing it in front of other people who can keep an eye out for you and make sure you're safe. They can make sure you have good form. <laughs> it's it's the community aspect of it that we try to promote the most. Do you are you having snacks at your dungeon party tonight? We are having <laughs> we are having some aftercare salami. We have lots of aftercare <laughs> <Okay>. salami. <laughs> we usually do a potluck though. Yeah, tonight is gonna be a potluck, but um, one of the things is after you do a scene and your endorphins are running high and all that, you have something called aftercare so that you can maybe gradually come down so that it's not an abrupt from high to low. Gotcha. And for me, the running joke is I like to eat a lot of protein. For whatever reason, I crave protein after a scene. Ribs, baby, And ribs. I crave salami. So right. aftercare salami is now a thing, and there's there's just salami <laughs> everywhere coming. Salami everywhere. Cold cuts for a hot night. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. People are going to be so disappointed when they realize it's not part of the show. (laughs) COVID has to have impacted your ability to do these things a lot, right? Oh, yeah. Tonight's party, for example, everybody who's coming tonight has been vaccinated. And it's a small group, less than 25 people. It's going to be an electro scene. Can you describe it a bit? I use something called a violet wand, and it is actually based on a Nikola Tesla design in the Victorian times. It was used as a medical device. Obviously, it did not work. Right. It's uh, It does absolutely nothing medical and beauty-wise. It fixed something. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had like a TENS unit when you've been doing physical therapy or something? Yeah, I've... I've used that before. Yeah, that's actually part of what I use as well. I don't do that at parties, but I do it in private. Okay. You can get a lot out of a TENS unit, let me tell oh, you. wow. Good you wouldn't know. believe what you can do with one of those. <laughs> and putting the pads someplace you probably never thought to put the pads. Oh, I bet yeah. a lot of people think to put the pads there <laughs> just if they have the balls to do it. We don't put any electricity above uh, the waist because it's really close to the heart. And even though it's a very, very small amount, you still don't want to run that risk. How were you raised to believe about sex and kinks and things in that realm? I am Jewish. Yeah, no, I was raised with very liberal parents that were very open about sex and made me think it was something that was fun that you do and enjoy and just do it safely. That's healthy. That's great. And um, I am completely out to my family, my parents, my sister, my children. They know that I'm kinky. They know that I'm poly. They know about the podcast that we do. I just told them, don't listen if you don't want to know that much about me. Yeah. <laughs> Completely out there. Even for my work, they know that I'm poly. And while I haven't said the words kink, they know I participate in alternative lifestyles. That's, I mean, that's great. Especially when people are at least respectful of it, even if they're like, well, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, so Dara, how about you? Same thing as Rara. My mother has flat told me, Ever since I can remember, sex is a healthy part of a relationship. And if it's not working, don't. There's too much life to live to not have a good relationship. And good sex is part of that. 
not even the sex part, doing what makes you happy is part of that. Having compatibility in a relationship is part of that. Let's do a little bit of myth busting. So if you're into BDSM, for example, then you must have daddy issues, right? No. No. (laughs) We both have very healthy relationships with our fathers. Like both of our parents. They're still still together. After 50 plus years, they're still happily together. Yeah. My parents are coming up on 50 years pretty soon. So, But you guys obviously have a hard time finding a stable relationship because, I mean, you're into weird stuff and it's hard to be monogamous, right? Not when you ha- your partner is also into the weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my marriage ended because he wasn't into this kinky lifestyle, but there's been no problems. I mean, I've had monogamous relationships with guys who wanted to be monogamous. And I've had relationships with guys who wanted to be poly. It's just whatever works for us. And I was actually, I trained my husband in kink myself. Like he was vanilla, which means not into it. And then on one of our dates, he mentioned something about a kink that other people weren't very comfortable with. And I said, really, I can work with that. And at that point, I was just like, yeah, you mind. <laughs> yeah. Where can people check you out? We are on every social media platform at Pink Kink Podcast. We have Instagram, Twitter. We have a Facebook group. We've now joined TikTok. I'm sorry. <laughs> I told it's, her to do it and she, she didn't ma- listen. She made me do it. I told her I wasn't going to hit her with a paddle until she joined TikTok. <laughs> do you see what I put up with? The threats I get. So is the paddle wood, like, is it like with tennis where it's like a clay court, like it's different <laughs> or a wooden one? It's loose side. Here, I'll turn it sideways so you can see the spikes on it. These are similar to um, like cleats. Okay. You would have done well in medieval times. Just saying. Wait, wait, y'all take that bare ass? She does. I don't. I do. Damn. She said they'll draw blood, which by the way, what does your doctor say about this? Because the blood part is the only one where I'm like, <laughs> that's me. I cannot deal with the whole blood part. Yeah. We actually continuously talk about this one time where she was doing a scene and I was doing a scene of my own. And I turned and I looked, even though she told me not to. Yes, I know. I looked anyway, and I turned gray. She almost passed out. Wow. And um, the person who was who I was working on took one look at me and went, Fred. Yeah. They called the scene. I love that you call them scenes, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I like that. Classically trained. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's playtime. You know, this is one of the myths that in order to be into kink, you have to be into that. The whips and the chains and the paddles and the blood. I am. She's not right at all. None of that. There's almost nothing that I do that she's willing to do. (laughs) Like I'm going to tonight, not only am I going to get hit with a spiked paddle, I'm also going to do needles and medical grade staples. Damn. Nope. That's like those um, warriors in like Southeast Asia where they like put spikes through their lips and stuff. Oh, yeah. To show like they're warriors. Yeah. Oh, she'd be able to handle an interrogation, no problem. Yeah. (laughs) I, on the other hand, would give up everything as soon as they pull out, like, a sliver. Um, As far as my doctor, it's the only time it's ever come up is when I went to get an exam and I was covered in bruises, and I had to make sure that they knew they were consensual, that I wasn't being abused. Otherwise, I've never really discussed it with any medical personnel. And I don't really have to because I'm mostly top. So what does top mean? Does that mean that you're the one who's uh, doing, I'm doing the, one the stuff? I'm the one doing the stuff. Okay. She's the bottom. She's the one receiving the stuff. 
But I'm what's called a switch, and so is Dara, which means we do both. Okay. Is there a difference in the terminology? Are they essentially uh, the same thing when it comes to dom, sub, top, bottom? Uh, there's, there's a difference. Dom, sub is about the relationship, and top, bottom is for the scene only. So there's no uh. submitting during a scene if you're just a top bottom. When do you think the Oscars will finally allow best Dom scene to be part of the overall festivities? <laughs> when they get it right in Hollywood. <laughs> What's your favorite sexy time music? <laughs> okay, well, whenever Whips and Chains by Rihanna comes on, you know I'm singing the heck out of that at the top of my lungs. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if the scene is really good, then it doesn't matter. I mean, I did a scene two weeks ago and... Don't Cry For Me, Argentina came on during the scene. <laughs> yeah, and she was doing a duet with the person who was right next to her, too. Yeah, we were singing together. <laughs> I'm the one who calls you when you wake up. So whether you're looking for making love music or music about love, we got the thing for you. Our musician spotlight of our finale episode is Kate Tucker and her new EP, Singles Club. It's pretty relevant, right? A self-taught musician, Tucker spent days rewinding VHS tapes of the Cranberries on MTV Unplugged to learn chords on her guitar that her godfather built for her. By 16, she could play their entire live set and was ready to write songs of her own. She grew up in a family of truck drivers and became acquainted with the American road from an early age. A sense of place, space, home, and vast unknown continues to inform her work in both mood and lyric. She cut her teeth in Cleveland rock clubs, then moved to France, played in the streets of Paris, went off to Seattle and started a band, only to hit the road again for New York City, and finally landed in Nashville. In 2018, Tucker joined an all-woman supergroup called Band of Their Own, which included members of Belly, Veruca Salt, Letters to Cleo, and The Bangles. Her latest EP, Singles Club, was a collaboration with an A-list of producers and musicians with Grammy nominations and a series of discography to envy. She's currently hiding out in the woods of Ohio writing her new record and directing the documentary Tell It Like It Is on the life and work of artist Walter K. Delbridge. She's also working on launching her own podcast podcast coming out soon called Hope Is My Middle Name. It might even be released by the time this episode is live, so check it out. Talented filmmaker, musician, and all-around creative, Kate Tucker. Set you free. 
Okay, so our next guest is Carter. He was connected with us through David Luz, our friend from Minnesota, over at the Illuminating Mycelium podcast. And he had shared with me some episodes of his that Carter was on where they talked about furries and plushies and this whole subculture that most people know nothing about, including us, or they see it as something to exploit or poke fun at instead of really trying to get an understanding about somebody else and and what it is that they're into. So Carter, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, you letting me come on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I guess outside of being a furry, I'm a pretty normal guy. You know, I work five days a week. I I grew up in Minnesota. not much to say about me otherwise. I, I I, don't think that whatsoever. I think you're very unique, but at the same time, I think it's really important to talk about who you are in the sense that what we look at is weird or normal. Those are, those are terms that were created by somebody else. So you are married. Yep. Yep. Married to a husband. We just got... Uh... We just got married back in December last year. We've been together for five years total now. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes, and congrats indeed. Joe, LeJohn, do you guys know what furries and plushies are? They're the Are they the type of beanie babies that are more expensive? Yep. <laughs> I'll let you tell it. So, Carter, what is a furry? Basically, the, the best description for it is fans of anthropomorphic animals. And I might not even be pronouncing that second word right, anthropomorphic. Uh, basically, cartoon characters. Um, Star Fox is a pretty famous anthropomorphic animal. Um, Lola Bunny is another famous one. She recently got into the news. Uh, basically, people who who really are interested into these sort of cartoon characters, anthro wolves and stuff like that. So some people end up getting fursuits and dressing up like that. Some people just really like the artwork. And uh, most of the people within that community have their own character that they associate with. So they have their, their fursona, which is their furry identity uh, within that group. You know, I, I have Mesky and actually my husband doesn't even call me Carter. He calls me Mesky. He's never called me Carter. Really. It trips me out when he calls me that. And who is Mesky? Because I'm I'm totally naive to that. Um. Well, Mesky is actually a plush husky, so that's that's my character. He doesn't have too much of a backstory. Um. Ah. Uh, mostly green and white, uh, with some pink and blue highlighting on it. So it's a very neon psychedelic, uh, color scheme. Was this a, a pre-existing character, or did you make this character? No, no. This is something I I dreamed up, and uh, I had an artist create oh, a reference cool. sheet for, and then from there I got the first suit made, and uh, yeah. If you're in these big fur outfits, they kind of also look like mascot outfits. Like, yep, do people absolutely. ever like get you confused or like invite you to what you find out is a soapbox <laughs> derby? <laughs> uh, nothing of that sorts, but uh, you know there is definitely a crossover. Actually, one of the, my old friends from back in the day when I first got into it, he actually was the mascot for a couple of Wisconsin sports teams. This was quite a few years ago, probably almost ten years ago at this point that I even talked to him. So it's probably like twenty years ago. But he he was the mascot, and there's actually quite a few mascot actors out there who are furries. Um, okay, they that's love how they get their into work. It. Yeah. Yep. Do um, people? like that or people are like wow this person's such a literally hard worker or do you <laughs> or do people like not like the the mixing of the uh, two worlds well, i guess most people wouldn't know i mean oh yeah if you go see a mascot you're not gonna look at him and be like oh well that's a fucking furry automatically associate him like with being a furry especially if it's you know just your normal run-of-the-mill mascot 
And what I think Joe is getting at is kind of one of the myths behind it as well, which is it's not all about sex. It's not all about no. having sex in these costumes. Well, I've actually never had sex in fursuit before. I've gotten a little frisky, I guess, but I've never actually done that. Oh, that is bullshit. LeJohn's upset. I'm upset about that. I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I 100%. I've never had penetrative sex in a fursuit. My fursuit doesn't have any of those sort of modifications. Uh, me and my husband have done some stuff, but it, like I said, it's been very tame, and that was maybe twice. People, generally speaking, have separate fursuits that they have sex in. If they are one of those, they're called mer-suits. Uh, mer is like the furry word for arousal or sex. You know, you see something you like, and you're like, oh, mer. Wait, is that like what the what the three wise men brought to baby Jesus? <laughs> the mer-suit. <laughs> Absolutely. Gold, frankincense, and this furry suit. You didn't read that part of the Bible? Dude? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's my favorite verse. So it's it, it's not all sex. It really isn't. Now, that being said, it is a lot of sex, almost a solid 50-50 split. I would say most people in that group have some sort of fetish, whether it is being a furry fetish or a different fetish that's also mixed in with it. Most people in the furry fandom do have that fetish, whatever they, they say, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's innocent. You know, there's nothing sexual for it about me. You know, I, I'll call bullshit on that one for most people. It, there is a sexual aspect to it, but most of fursuiting and, uh, the community get togethers and fur cons, most of that stuff is completely innocent, completely PG. Um, take a small step back fur cons. Yeah. I heard yeah. That. that was dope. Furry conventions. So mm -hmm. basically, uh, a convention will rent out a hotel for a weekend and just have a convention of fursuiters, panels. Some of the panels will talk about different artists. Some people will, I don't know, there's there's everything. There's dances, artists like there's people music. who would make the outfits or like just make draw the outfits, up. make custom stuffed animals, make stickers, make whatever, whatever. Okay. I bought belts at a furry convention, you know? And so it's like a state fair, but for furries. Is there like a celebrity furry? Is there somebody? Oh, yeah. Like, oh. There's lots of them. Yeah. The person inside the fursuit or the character yeah. outfit? There are definitely famous fursonas and fursuits out there and fursuiters. Um, but it's usually usually the character and then obviously the person playing that character. Because a lot of people do have multiple fursonas. I don't. Personally, I, I just have the one. But a lot of people do have multiple. So... If somebody has a fursona that becomes famous, generally from there, that fursuiter will become famous as well. And people will start to follow their other sonas and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there are definitely a handful of famous furs out there. I was going to say, what are the good things of like the fame in the fur community? Do you get like asked to speak at conventions or can you monetize this in any way that in, in like a PG way still? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that that make TikToks and vines and uh and just tweet and twitter type stuff sometimes they'll be the honorary guest at a convention which means an expenses paid convention for them they get their hotel room for free and then they get the con admission for free if they're one of these honorable guests and you know they'll also have famous furry artists there are a lot of people that are famous quote unquote in the fur community but um it's not just all fur suiters. some some of them are artists some of them are authors um but yeah, you can you can monetize it to a certain degree. I I can't imagine those famous furries out there are making a huge living just by being a first fur suitor. Yeah, I, I, I mean, isn't that how they made Yo Gabba Gabba? <laughs> I'm just. I, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so scared to shit. I know. 
You're a furry, but that is not even your main, what do you want to call it, fetish? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely not. It's it's secondary. Like I said, it's kind of the home for that. So um, I have an inflatable fetish, and then on top of that, plush, so stuffed animals. Um, so inflatable pool toys, things like that. I, I love those things. And, uh, and then most of the people that are involved in those two communities are furry as well. So there's a lot of crossover. Not all furries are inflatophiles, but there's a lot of inflatophiles that are furries and stuff like that. I've been meaning to get into that inflatable. <laughs> like, no, seriously. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like, the, yeah, interested. You know, and like, where do I start? Yeah, what do you do? Do you, like, is there the fun part, like, poking it and then it deflates? <laughs> or? Uh, yeah, you're actually, you are you just opened up a rift. The, the inflatable community is very divided between poppers and non-poppers. <laughs> uh, the two groups and hate each other wow. and that's a big reason why i don't really associate with the commu- that community too much anymore i have my friends that i i talk to and i associate with and obviously my husband is one that's how we met but other than that I, the community has become pretty toxic so i i generally don't associate with that community too terribly much so i just i can't i don't, I don't get behind that but i i don't judge other people for what they do i just i don't really associate with it too much i dig it so you leave them inflated. <laughs> yeah, of course. Gotcha. I pretty much always have some up at some time. And then me and my husband, we have a whole closet full. I mean, if we sold off our collection, it'd be enough to pay off our house and then some. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, some are, some are custom made. I mean, my husband just bought off eBay the other day a $950 inflatable cow. So it's like, these aren't cheap. These are heavy duty custom made things. I mean, if and some are, you know, some you can just pick up at Walmart or Target or whatever you choose. Can can I ask what you do with the inflatable cow? Uh yeah. I You fuck it? I'd be fucking I it. I guess I have yeah. sex right, great, with great, them. Great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fuck it. I like how yeah. she tiptoed around and then went straight to you fuck it. Yeah, that's exactly it. No, it's one hundred percent true. Just I, just confirming it's like not like just also a, like a yard. Well, especially at that price. I'm I, look, I, yeah. yeah. I deserve to fuck it. I well, paid that yeah, kind of regardless of what it is for. <laughs> yeah, why would you pay that much if you're not gonna fuck it? Okay. <laughs> when it comes to plushies and inflatables, it's not all sexual either, right? It, like I said, they're almost like a support for me, you know, as, as crazy as that sounds. I, I love to come home and see them and hug them and all that sort of thing. It doesn't sound crazy when you really think about the kinds of things that have that place in people's lives now. Yeah. It's just the fact that you also incorporate sex into it, why people are like, well, now it's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, oh, if somebody has a lucky charm and they carry it around with them everywhere and they kiss it for good luck and all of this, that's okay. That's normal because that's sanctioned. Or if. If somebody has a really cool collector's car and they're like, man, I just love it. It's so therapeutic to go out in my garage and work on it and drive it around like it's therapy. When did you realize that this was an urge or a desire that you had any of it? Earliest, earliest memories. My attraction to them, uh, to inflatable specifically, I can remember pretty much as early as my earliest memories. Um, Obviously, at that age, it's not arousal, more or less an excitement. Um, but I'd say about three or four years old is when I noticed this weird excitement to it. Um, stuffed animals, I can't really say there's any particular age, but I, they've always just given me this warm, fuzzy, happy feeling. And then as I grew into sexual maturity, both of those things became a fetish and a sexuality for me. 
And then around the age of, you know, 14, when I started experimenting with myself, you know, that's what I experimented with. So it wasn't like I was, you know, looking at porno mags and stuff. It's like I was grabbing my old stuffed animals and, you know, um, and then around the age of 15 and 16, I, I found other online communities and I realized that I wasn't alone, that there are other people out there like me and that there are these crazy custom made giant inflatable animals. And it all just started from there. And like I said, I met multiple friends. I met my husband through this community. So it's been there for as long as I can remember. And you use the word community because it's more so than just some weird kink sex cult or something, but it's actually for you, it's so much more than any of that. Oh, 100%. And I say community because yeah, it's, it's a fetish, but I mean, when a thousand people that all have that same fetish go on to an online form and start posting other pictures, videos, and start talking to each other and start to have just like a, a regular chat room experience. Like, what do you call it at that point? It's not just a, a website or a porn website because it's people having conversations and talking about things. It's no longer at that point, just a fetish. It, it, it is a community. Now, if I never met another person that was into it and I just watched videos, then yeah, I could, I could see how someone might call it just a fetish. But I mean, I had some really deep conversations with people about a lot of different things. And these were all people I had met on those forums and in those message rooms and stuff like that. If you want to call me an asshole for saying this, please do. But I can't help but find the humor in this deep emotional conversation and you look over and there's a dude dressed as Elmo or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know it's, it's crazy. Like it. It is, but okay, so for me, like I said, from a young age, I had these feelings and uh, and I felt super alone in this experience and, and in this sexual discovery. You know, it's like I could never relate to other kids my age and other guys my age, um, you know, during that era when my friends were talking about women. I, you know, I just didn't get it. I'm like, what's the point? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And they're like, are you gay? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like men either, you know? And so when I felt this super strong dissonance between me and the, my peers and not really being able to relate to anybody on that level. And then all of a sudden, you know, 15, 16 rolls around and I start talking to people who have these same feelings. Like it doesn't matter how ridiculous the conversations we had or how ridiculous the people looked. I'm like, we have a bond. We share something that nobody else will ever understand. And the one thing I liken it to, and I think it's easier for us in mainstream culture and the things that we've over the last, let's say, decade or so really started to grasp was kind of the cosplaying culture and community because I think some people think, oh, these people just get dressed up when they go to conventions. But no, they spend a lot of time and money building these things because they have this affinity for a character or for a type of comic or whatever it might be. For those people on the outside looking in going, oh, that's weird. But it's like, yeah, but is it? Is it really that weird? We do a lot of these things in our society. I think nerd culture has kind of gone mainstream. And I, mm -hmm. I think there is a pretty big you know, relationship to what you just said. I think society as a whole is becoming a lot more accepting of different things, especially with the invention of the internet. Anytime you have any sort of a hobby, you're going to inevitably meet other people that share that same hobby and you're going to form groups and, you know, make websites and have message boards and all that sort of thing. And there's, there's inevitably going to be a community formed around it. 
I feel like at this point, it's more of an inevitability than anything. And that's the wonderful part about it, man, because it's like-minded individuals coming together. And you can't beat that. I don't give a damn what the topic is because we all have a, a have a sense of belonging. And, and uh, to belong to something like that, something that you find pleasure in, you feel something that you find enjoyment in with other like-minded individuals and can have conversations that w- would be deemed uncomfortable in other settings. That's fucking fantastic. I love it. That's great. Yeah. No, I love it too, man. I'm about to get hip. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, sure. I'm, I'm going to get an inflatable that looks like me. who's your dream sexual partner well me it's me (laughs) there's a lot of inflatables out there but i don't see a lot of human ones that to me is a little creepy personally but i don't judge people really so like blow up dolls and stuff are not no it's that's kind of the uncanny valley thing i feel like uh yeah that's a good call i feel like inflatables are a good medium to represent very cartoony colorful characters not really necessarily human beings you you met your husband through this community what about other friends and family are they accepting of it do they know about it how does that work um yeah my immediate family knows my sister and my mom and my dad they all know because obviously i was living with them at the age i started collecting um oh my god my it was really awkward my parents my mom found uh, inflatable whale in my closet and it was still like partially inflated and she's like what is this and I had to explain to her and I <laughs> had the little conversation with her and I, I watched my mom's brain like short circuit a little bit <laughs> and she she crossed a few wires and she gave me like the pre-prepared talk for regular straight porn but she tried to incorporate it into what I was doing <laughs> wow. she's like, I think the only sense she got out is you know the girls you see in those videos aren't like real girls. I'm like, no, what, <laughs> no what they're girls? like inflatable whales. <laughs> <laughs> and your brain just short-circuited a little bit, and she walked out of the room. <laughs> how, how old were you when this happened? Ah, uh, 16. Yeah, 16. Do you still have that whale? Yes, yeah, I do, I think. Oh, good. So you take, you take very good care of all of the stuff that you own. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk for a moment about exploitation versus exploration. I think when it comes to any kind of uh, sex, kink, fetish, sex subculture, there's a lot of exploitation. You know, like TLC does like a My Weird Kink show or whatever the hell it was called. Yeah, Strange Sex and My Strange Addiction. There's a few others, too. I think TLC does about two or three of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you and I talked about this offline. That's that's. They're really trying to make a joke about it, and that's not what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. So I want to look at more of the exploration side, or at least where people are trying to wrap their heads around it and kind of be like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's maybe that's something I'm into, or that's weird to me, but that's cool, man, whatever floats your boat. What's kind of been the perception outside of the community itself in your life? Uh, most people, I one thing I actually frequently hear is that people want to tell people, and I I don't go around telling a lot of people. You got to be a close friend. But yeah, like like I said, I have him up in my house, so it's like uh, David came over to do the podcast, and he saw my inflatable deer, and I don't think he knew before then, but he knew I was a furry, and you know now he knows pretty much everything because we're very close friends at this point. Most people say it's it's very innocent fetish, you know. And I honestly think it is. It is a pretty innocent fetish, you know. There are some pretty dodgy fetishes out there not gonna lie and i don't i don't kink shame or whatever you want to call it um but there are definitely some things that i i see people are into i'm like you know you you might want to be careful with that one how Um, do you know if the cow is consenting though that is the question 
how do I know if the cows consented? They got that look. They give you the eye. (laughs) (laughs) You can really see in their face when they want it. (laughs) Yeah. But the general consensus that I get from people that do know is they're like, you know what? That's really innocent. You do you have fun with it. I do have one of our friends. He still lives with his parents and his parents are super religious, super not accepting of it. They're like, get this shit out of my house. It's destroyed the relationship. It really has destroyed the relationship. And, you know, now he's given up his faith and his religion and he's very depressed and it's caused a lot of issues with him. And I'm just, I want to go up to his parents and just be like, why does it matter? Like, why are you destroying your relationship with your, your only son? Because he's into this. Like, what's the big deal? Like, yeah, and that would be like going up to a Browns fan like LeJohn, going up to a lifelong and saying, that offends me, and as long as you root for the Browns, you can't be in my life. <laughs> That's a way of living. It's more than just a team to you, right? Got news for you, motherfucker. Oh, absolutely. And so that's really sad when people are willing to set fire to a relationship, especially a parent-child relationship over something like that. Like you said, that does not affect them. Yeah, it's something so silly. Like it's, you're never going to hurt anybody by having sex with a pool toy. I mean, obviously don't do it out in public and people (laughs) that do. And there are, you know, there's every once in a while, there's a new story of somebody having sex with a stuffed animal in Walmart or hopping over and having sex with somebody's pool toy in their backyard, you know, and obviously I think that is probably the dumbest thing you can do if you're into this, but not only that, but it negatively impacts me because then when people see that stuff, they automatically assume all people are like that, you know, and I think a lot of those guys that do that aren't necessarily mentally sound, obviously, but then on top of that, there's sort of an exhibitionism fetish or kink or whatever you want to call it that sort of gets mixed into it keep what you do in that nature, keep it private. You know, if somebody is getting offended or hurt that you're doing that behind closed doors, odds are it doesn't affect them. Or they're projecting some kind of issue of their own. Yeah. Or they're projecting or they're insecure. Like I, you know, I definitely know a couple of people who are in relationships and the other part of the relationship isn't into inflatables or isn't into plush or whatever. And they feel like they're sexually neglected because this person is more attracted to the pool toy than they are to their wife or husband or whatever. And I could see, I could see that how someone might be a little bit hurt by that. Obviously, if you're someone's wife and you're like, why is this guy way more interested in this $20 inflatable pool toy than he is in me? Like what, you know, Hey, cause it doesn't talk back. Doesn't give any shit. It understands (laughs) what the, it understands what the situation is. Yeah. It loves to go to the beach. (laughs) Never judges you. Well, and and people can accept a sex toy. And I mean, what is a sex toy really? It's an inanimate object. We're we're so much more accepting of things that are pretty parallel. And uh, so I, I really appreciate your candor. And when you and I spoke last, you said you were possibly thinking about starting your own podcast on this. You know, I, I feel like I would like to do it. I talked to David about it a little bit and I feel like I like I like bizarre people like and I'm not degrading anybody by calling them bizarre or weird like I'm a weird bizarre person I'm, and I don't think less of myself I'm not ashamed of myself for it I'm not I don't hate on anybody because they're weird or different but I'm like you guys I'm just genuinely curious I want to hear their story and hear the things that they like to do you know and I like out of the ordinary stuff usually weird people are some of the most caring and understanding people out there I mean there are obviously plenty of times where that that isn't the case, but I would say there are a lot of weird people out there that are super supportive, understanding. So I want to sort of hear these people's stories. And I, I wanted to talk to my friend about how 
this aspect of his life and his sexuality has sort of caused a lot of problems in his personal life with his family and stuff like that. I want him to share his story because I, at the end of the day, what I, my goal would be is so that the people who are growing up and sort of reaching an age of sexual maturity and they're starting to figure this out, or even someone who's in their thirties and they're like, you know, maybe I'm into this thing and I just never knew it. Or, you know, I really want to try that. I, or I have these feelings. I want those people to know that you're not alone, that there's somebody else out there that is into that, that same thing as you are. You know, there's a healthy way that you can explore that and uh, meet other people that are into it. I, I just want those people that went through that same sort of dissonance that I went through when I was younger to know that you're, you're not alone with these feelings and that you shouldn't be ashamed of it. My goal would be that people don't lose relationships over their fetishes or their sexuality or what they like to collect. I don't want people's parents to disown them because they like pool toys or balloons or whatever. I want people who are like me to live their lives and accept themselves and be accepted by other people. So I would like to potentially, I don't know, start a podcast and, and talk to similar people that like similar and, and different things and odd things and all the different crazy fetishes out there. And I, I'd like to talk about the, the implications of those things, you know? Not having a fear of being your genuine self. I love that, man. I thank you for saying that. Yeah. You shouldn't be afraid to be yourself. Yeah. And we'd be very offended if you don't call us weird. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are weird as fuck. I don't know you, but I'm going to assume <laughs> you're talking, you're talking to me. You can't be all right in that. <laughs> Carter, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I'd like to say, anybody who's potentially listened to this, if you start doing spring cleaning and you realize, oh, I got these old inflatables in my garage, check it out. They might actually be worth something. Um, There's one time I picked up uh old rare Intex inflatable for ten dollars and it's worth 150 dollars they're these great really valuable collector's items that people just throw away or give away at a garage sale for a dollar or two um i just don't want to see them go in the trash so hey reduce reuse recycle i'm going green man that's That's right (laughs) (laughs) all right so our next guests are brenna and brian of the front porch swingers where they share their stories and escapades as a couple who are super adventurous and they're calling us from an rv nudist resort in florida right now thanks so much for being here with us today guys thanks for having us we're excited and you guys are actually out of montana we are yes i was born and raised brian migrated there a couple years ago but yes and so you guys decided like what the hell it's the end of uh late winter early spring let's just get out of here and go do something different or is this like a what you always do uh no it's not what we've always done but we've been planning on it for a while we we knew that we eventually wanted to do the cross-country touring and being in different locations and meeting lots of new people and we're finally living out that dream. And and Brian, you were just telling us as a 51-year-old man, you are the youngest and sexiest man at this resort. Yes, I can confidently say that I am the youngest person here by 20 years for sure. <laughs> youngest male. <laughs> what? That That's fantastic. We are the hosts of a podcast called Front Porch Swingers. And basically every single week we detail our real life experiences in all forms of non-monogamy. We started out as a hot wife couple, which basically meant that I was the one primarily playing with other people, but we quickly ventured into couple play. So us kind of swapping with other couples, if you will. And Brian has had long-term play partners of his own. And now we've also ventured into the world of polyamory. So we've kind of hit on a lot of different areas. We also started out our relationship as a BDSM couple with um, high protocol play, uh, impact play, uh, 
primal play, those kinds of things. Because I'm ignorant to some of these things. I'm not, I'm not completely hip and up to speed on it. Is hot wifing the same as kind of like a cuckolding thing? Or is the hot wifing where the guy is not even anywhere near, he just lets her go play? Correct. Uh, there are some components that are similar in that the, let's say, female portion of the couple would play uh, independently of the male. But there, in, in a cuckold situation, there's oftentimes some form of humiliation component. Mm. There, that's not the case in hot wifing whatsoever. And it's more like a stag vixen. In other words, I would be the stag, the third party would be the bull, Brenna would be the vixen. And it's more of a, of a, a compersion and almost a royalty perk concept uh, that works for us. In other words, Brian kind of shares me, quote unquote, with other men, knowing full well that I will come back to him and he gets to reap all of the rewards of that eroticism. So there's not any sort of, you know, it's not as if I am making Brian feel bad. He is very much a part of it from a distance and he likes sharing me with other people. God, damn. Also, there's a, I'm largely involved in who these guys are. I do a large portion of the vetting, particularly since we're on the road and in different places and sure. from a, for a safety component, really, more than anything else. Also, which means you'll beat the shit out of them if things get out of hand. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the best temper when stupidity yeah. enters the room. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, she, my, my wife is my, my prized person in my life and I'm not about to allow anybody to get sideways so yeah that's sure. what see that's what the fuck I'm talking I'm, I'm, I'm excited already see yeah. okay so yeah I knew Lejan was especially going to yeah. enjoy this one Lejan was telling me last time we were here recording I think he said here's the thing I love women I love having sex but if I were to get married I would be happily monogamous and i'm like i don't think that's your cup of tea i don't think you need to find somebody who wants that kind of lifestyle you still don't believe me do you i don't i do not i do not i can well monogamy is an option it's just for us is not the default setting it's uh it, it certainly is an option and it works for a lot of people we have plenty of vanilla friends that friends that i've had for 30 plus years that are quite happily married and have been for a long time but I am four times divorced. Brenna is divorced once. So between the two of us, we've got five failed marriages. It just, so for some people, it just doesn't work. Were either of you in your past marriages into the lifestyle? To, yes, on a, on, to some degree I was, yes. Not me at all. <laughs> and that is that why this works? No, yeah, definitely in part it's why it works. I mean, I think the the main reason our relationship works is because it began differently than any of our other past relationships did. We were so brutally honest with each other from the beginning about what we wanted, what we were going to accept, what we were not going to accept, desires, fantasies, everything. And most people don't start relationships like that. If you think about it, it's a lot of putting your best foot forward or giving people the answers that you think that they want to hear and really kind of stuffing down who you really are. Are, and we didn't do that for the first time in our entire lives. We were just so honest. And as a result of that, we found that not only were we being honest with each other, but we were also completely compatible in that we realized that monogamy was not right for us. We are not the type of people that are going to spend 30 years with one person. That's a beautiful idea or 40 or 50 years. It's a beautiful idea, but it's not realistic for us personally. I don't know how beautiful an idea it is, frankly. Uh, I mean, for some, not for us. But. Yeah. I think 
a lot of people who were raised in kind of a, a, an orthodox, especially me, like I was raised very evangelical. And it's like, you know, your privates and your hearts are tied together. And that's n- just not necessarily the case. I think, like Brian, you might feel more betrayed if she were to have a spiritual connection with another man as opposed to just the physical, right? I would be bewildered. I don't know that jealous. I don't have a jealous component to me. I'm, mm-hmm. I really don't. Uh, which is largely uh, why my a lot of my relationships in the past didn't work. I had a lot of my exes would probably tell you that I was indifferent as to whether or not the relationship existed. Um, I have one ex-wife that actually said to me that she was surprised. She wouldn't be surprised if it took me seven seconds to fall asleep at night instead of six if she didn't show up. And she was right. <laughs> I didn't care. You know, from that perspective, it, that for me is not a, not an issue. Uh, I, I'm just not a jealous person, so I guess that's probably why it lends itself to why I'm so comfortable in this space. I fucking love this guy. <laughs> but I, I think to your point, I mean, there's a lot more tied to the emotions of it than sex for us. I mean, yeah. I am much more interested in Brian engaging with other people sexually than on a relationship perspective. I don't necessarily want him to go out and fall in love with someone else, but sex is sex. It's about, you know, an animalistic need that we have as human beings. It's not about you know, intimacy and romance and all of those things. People confuse intimacy and sex and love constantly. None of those are synonymous. They can be, right? Like they can, or they can have overlap. Can be. And, and if monogamy works for you, great. We, you know, my, my wife years ago read the myth of monogamy and she was sharing some interesting facts with me today. And we actually read one of them from uh, Psychology Today, which said that there was something crazy like 80% of early civilizations were polyamorous. Right. The idea of monogamy didn't exist. The only reason that monogamy was there in any form was really to have the two parent ideal situation because there's a benefit to that. But monogamy from a sexual standpoint, one, it doesn't exist in a lot of the animal kingdom. And that's what people try to go, no, God wanted, you know, Noah's Ark. I think in American culture, we've accepted, at least mainstream, that this is what you want. Like you need to find somebody, get married to them, have kids, and and you will find a way to only desire the other person for the rest of your lives. And I think that is a myth to most of us. To most, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't work for some people. That's great that it does. But for a lot of people, they have a hard time wrapping their heads around it because it's not a cultural norm, right? So how do you do that? So if I'm somebody, and I'm not, I'm, I'm really not, but if, and I'm saying that because my wife's staring at me. Yeah, she's also sitting right behind you, so be very careful. <laughs> careful. If somebody listening is like, I feel bad because I feel like I'm already cheating on them in my mind, or I don't know how to broach this subject, or I don't know how to have this conversation, and I've heard you talk about it on your show a little bit, but what do you recommend to those people? I think part of it is you have to develop an honest dialogue with your partner and have it be consistent, not just about sex, but about all things, you know, whether it's money or the things that you want to do in your life or, you know, your your career aspirations, whatever. People just need to open up and, and be honest with their partners and develop the type of relationship where, you know, you can go to your partner and say things and it's a safe space. I feel like far too few relationships exist in that sphere. Like your partner should be your best friend, right? They should be your constant confidant and the person that you're excited to tell things to. And if you develop that kind of relationship, then it's very easy to come to them and and be honest about things, even like sex. And so, I mean, I think that's the first the first 
part of this is if you aren't already communicating, if you're not already having amazing and open and judgment-free dialogue with your partner, it's really difficult to go from a lack of communication to, hey, we should totally have sex with other people. <laughs> not the greatest idea. <laughs> yeah, people, so. people can, they get confused. They think because we're in this, this lifestyle where we live a certain way that somehow we lack communication. The truth of the matter is you are going to be really bad at ethical non-monogamy if your communicative skills are anything less than master level. Uh, monogamous couples have to communicate. Non-monogamous couples have to communicate on a much higher level. And a lot of people don't get that. I mean, to me, that makes perfect sense. And and I think it's actually a beautiful thing because while, again, you're going to get the the judgmental people who like just cannot wrap their head around it, that's what I see. I see you guys as best friends who are exploring and being adventurous in life together. And this is like this exciting thing. And too many people, sex is what they focus on, the sex element only. And it's like, I could never let this person have sex with someone else. Like, I could never have somebody else touch it, which I don't know. I mean, at least, Brenna, from a female perspective, is that kind of this old school ownership thing? Like, I own you. How dare you touch another man? I mean, kind of. I also think it's a little bit of a generational thing. I think it's far more likely for someone Brian's age to be tied to that idea than it is for a millennial like me. You know, I have grown up in a much more progressive time and a much more kind of openly sexual time than Brian has. And and so I think that that's part of it, too. I think that there is a lot of, yeah, just emotion tied to this idea of holding on to your partner as tightly as you can, that doesn't work in reality. I I think that's proven by the fact that something like 40 to 50% of the relationships in the United States can have some form of infidelity that happens during the course of that relationship, whether it's physical or emotional infidelity. I think if we were more likely to just kind of let go of that concept of like your partner has to just be yours all the time and if they're not it's somehow this toxic thing that's happening in your relationship I think people would be a lot more apt to open up and express their desires to yeah experience other people sexually from time to time but what comes with that is the understanding that the love and the admiration and the respect between you two is greater than anything physical right right? you have to transcend the abandonment issues right yeah there's Listen, the bottom line is people will say, well, you can't possibly love your partner. You have sex with other people or your partner is having sex with other people. There are problems in your relationship. Uh, To them, I say, fuck that. And it's very simple. Uh, We love each other and we get to share ourselves physically with other people. We then have there's a compersion component to this, which for us means primarily that we get to watch our partners be entirely satiated in every way only to come back to one another and enjoy that transference of energy. And the idea that I can't love my partner because she's physical with someone else, I I fail to see how those two things are synonymous. I I don't understand how that's exclusively synonymous with one another. Well, and it's culturally, it's not biological because monogamy biologically does not work. Like literally, if you get into the science of how we're built and how we're wired and our chemical releases, monogamy actually works against human nature. It actually works against it, but it's a cultural norm versus a instinctual need. And I think what's happened, especially through cultures over time, it's become okay or understood if the man seeks sex outside of it. It's like, oh, he fucked up. But the woman, holy crap, burn her at the stake. 
You know, I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. Well, and what's really interesting about that is if there have been surveys done regarding infidelity versus non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy, people generally are more accepting of infidelity than they are of a couple deciding to have sex with other people when they're surveyed, which makes no sense whatsoever. So it's more okay for someone to cheat and lie than to be honest with their partner about their wants and desires. It just logically makes zero sense to me yet it's a thing in our culture that's dumb as hell man i I, i'll never be able to understand that i i so would rather there be genuine open honest communication in regards to exactly what you're thinking and feeling regardless if you think it's going to hurt my feelings or not you know because that's what's going to make us stronger and better in the first place so yeah i I love it i I absolutely love the mindset you guys have that's beautiful okay so i'm once divorced myself we're not taught culturally how to have true communication. You could boil down why divorce happens, but communication is probably the number one tool that we are lacking. That's the intimacy part. It's the communication. There are so many people who you talk to who are, you know, 15, 20 years in the marriage and they'll tell you, oh man, you know what I'm really into or you know what I like to do or you know what I do when my wife isn't paying attention. It's like, why don't you tell her this? If you guys really love each other and have this great connection, why on earth would you keep it from her? Like the guy who goes and doesn't tell his wife he's spending money at the strip club. If that is a thing that you're into, maybe she'll go with you. Why don't you have these conversations? It's not letting the other person fully embrace you for who you are top to bottom, especially when it comes to sex. Cheating yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The idea that you're not, you don't really know your partner is, is kind of what you're, what you're speaking of, because if you've had those conversations at any time over the course of the you know, 15, 20 year marriage, there would be no secrets. If you were openly communicative with your partner, they would know all of your proclivities. I, I mean, Brenna certainly knows all of mine a lot of times before I do. I understand it. I get it. I did it. I live that life like a lot of people do kind of blind to what it is that you really want and being able to explore your sexuality you know, fully. Um, it's a miserable existence once you have determined that that simply does not work for you and you cannot live any other way. All right. So I think what we need to do here is couples therapy with LeJohn, not as a couple, but you as the therapist and LeJohn. I don't think monogamy is going to be his cup of tea. But that's I mean, that's just my assumption. (laughs) Here's the thing. I can do it. But what I want to. Are you trying to be monogamous right now? No, I'm not. No, no, no. Uh, What I'm saying is I can if I had to be, I could do it. But sure, the right. person, but the man that I am. But I will cheat. <laughs> no, 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 no. But the man that I am, I'm going to express, as you all are saying, exactly what my thoughts and feelings are. First quarter, I'm not going to wait until the fourth quarter of the, of, the, of the relationship or marriage or whatever. No, I'm going to say, listen. Well, I think we should explore ourselves, and if it doesn't work, then hey, maybe that's not going to move forward. But you just point. said, if I had to, if I had to, why be? would you ever because, get into a situation where you have? Because to? what if I come across this woman that checks all the fucking boxes? She's not checking them all. Well, but then again, what if that She's box not checking all the boxes? <laughs> I dig what you're saying. I dig it. Brian. I absolutely <laughs> Brian, dig it. keep going there. <laughs> but She's not still. checking all the boxes. Listen, <laughs> Lejean, Here's the thing. I could, I could live in an eight by six cell. I don't want to. <laughs> I okay. I could do mm. a lot of things. I, I really can. I, I, I have the ability to adapt to an inordinate number of different situations, not the, none of which we need <laughs> to talk about here. But I don't have a desire to do it. And if you are truly feel like you, you could be monogamous, but it's not, it's not what you're about. If you meet this fictitious person <laughs> and she checks all the boxes, 
There's still one box left unchecked, my friend. And in 10 years down the road, if you haven't had a conversation with her about non-monogamy and you all of a sudden decide to spring it on her, well, we tell this to everybody we talk to and we have, you know, we, we coach people. What you have to be prepared for is consequences, mm -hmm. right? If you have not had that conversation with her before or him before, you have to understand that you may never be able to go back because once you've said to your partner of 10 years and you've never said it to them before, Hey, I want to open up the relationship. I think we should become ethically non-monogamous. We should sleep with other people. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they right. tell you, you are out of your fucking mind. That's never going to happen. And they judge you and they, that they have a level of disdain for you that there's a lot of times no going back to. So you cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube, man. It is out. Your, yeah. Your relationship will never be the same. Not, not a chance. All right. Fuck it. Check this out. The therapy's working because I get it. I say this all the time. Sometimes math is incorrect because when I say that checking all the boxes, she could be 95% everything I want, but that 5% could be greater than 95. So therefore I get what you guys are saying. I dig it. Then so be it. Yeah. It's the 95, five rule is what it is. It's like, it's in a lot of things. 95% of everything you do is great. Okay. I, I, I operated, I operated uh, restaurants and casinos for a long time, for 30 years for, for a company. 95% of everything you do every day is spot on. It's the 5% you don't see that's fucking up your program. So you've got to take a step back, open up your eyes and concentrate on the 5%. 95% 90, of what you're doing is fine. But it's that 5% that will kick you in the ass every time. I dig it. Look at that. Math does work. Good job. <laughs> And and I'm sorry that I put you on the spot. No, I just good. I knowing LeJohn, I want to see you. We happy. don't want him to settle down. <laughs> yeah. First of all, it'll ruin the show. <laughs> Looking for a new co-host, hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> French Court Swingers featuring LeJohn. Yeah, for the math segment. But if you're listen, if you enjoy that lifestyle in all seriousness and you're doing well socially, you really enjoy being who you are. I, I don't understand why you would want to, in my opinion, in my estimation, take a step back. And you don't have to. And you're right, because it's the poisoning of what the culture has taught us. The only way to have a healthy relationship right. is to have it monogamous. Right, right. That's what it, It's the poison of what culture has done to us and given us this mindset of the, this is how it's supposed to be. And if I don't do what society says I'm supposed to be doing, I'm fucked up. I'm wrong out here and everything. I'm, I'm a piece of shit. I'm just, you know, I'm a terrible man. Well, hey. Fuck that, <laughs> you know. Just like uh, like we're like we're talking about right now. It's just that's just maybe not where my head is at. The divorce rate is first of all they say fifty percent. I guarantee it's higher than that. They probably just haven't. I mean, we didn't really take a true census recently. So what does that tell you? People look for sex outside the marriage in a non-consensual way when they're unhappy. And the reason that we go to it with that is because they're seeking intimacy and love and all of these things through sex, which, as Brian said, is not necessarily the same thing. Rarely is it the same thing. I have a question. Did you guys... um? Did each of you cheat on your like previous partners or would you not call it cheating because you spoke to them beforehand? No, for me, I had relationships that had open components to them. Uh, I was a, I was a victim of cheat of being cheated on for sure. Uh, my, in my first marriage for us. I mean, what would what what is the point? Honestly, what we you know, in, a, in the world of ethical non-monogamy, you know, ethical and consensual being the key words. There's no reason to do that. We still see it. I mean, it, it still happens. But to your point, far less frequently than you do in monogamous situations. I, as you, you pointed out, the divorce rate, I would say to you as devil's advocate, what's even worse for me is living a continuing relationship that is absolutely miserable, that is loveless, sexless, emotionless, as opposed to pulling the trigger and getting married. 
And we see that a lot in our coaching. Well, and to answer your question for me personally, I did not cheat on my on my first husband, but instead I was miserable. Like I was not sexually fulfilled at all. I was, uh, you know, constantly thinking about being with other people, which I think is also incredibly toxic when you're not telling your partner that. So, you know, I mean, what's worse, actually doing it or stuffing it all down and, you know, hating yourself and resenting your partner. And anyone who's been cheated on, when you really think about what hurt you, more than anything, I think, at least for me, it's the betrayal. Well, it's trust, right? Right. And is is the physical thing really what's important? Like maybe in the moment, maybe in the moment because you're, you know, your wires are getting crossed and you're thinking, but it's not the physical thing. It has nothing to do with the physical thing, especially if you know no. that this is a sexual person who had partners before you, right? It's not the physical thing. Yeah. All of us have had sex before, right? <laughs> Everyone's had sex before. Well, not everyone. <laughs> not everyone. Most, people, most people have had sex before. That's not the end all be all. For me, what's more important is my partner, 100% being my partner. The sexual component, obviously, between us is great. We have amazing, mind-blowing sex, and a lot of it has to do with us being able to talk openly about what we are excited and earnestly interested about from a sexual perspective. What's more important to me is knowing that if I need her to show up in the middle of the night with a shovel, she's not going to ask me any questions. She's How often does this happen in one Metaphorically week? speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Metaphorically speaking, never. Yeah, it's a whole different show. We're going to do a true crime episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm speaking figuratively, of course. I'm I'm joking. Where can people check your podcast out and and all the things that you guys have to share with the world? Yeah, the easiest way to find us is frontporchswingers.com. Our podcast is there. Our blogs are there. There, our information on us is there, and uh, we'd love for people to come check out our sexy adventures. We talk about our real life sexcapades and it's a lot of fun. And we'd love for people to check it out. Awesome. Yeah, you can find us at Sex on Your Terms as well. Uh, that is where you we have Sex on Your Terms is our podcast where we talk a little bit more. It's a little deeper. It's about our personal journeys in, with sexuality and, and our relationship. Uh, and it's where you where our coaching service is basically found as well. Just a different, more cerebral version of uh, Front Porch Swingers. And what is the one piece of advice you would give to people out there, either who have these misguided preconceived notions or are curious? Simple for me. Talk to someone who is in consensual or ethical non-monogamy with an open mind and listen. I think for me, it would be work on your own sexual shame and stigmas, like work through the things that have been kind of just sitting in your brain and really start to question why it is you feel the certain way that you do about different quote unquote taboos or things that are not acceptable within sexuality in society because there's a very good chance that they're tied to things that have nothing to do with you personally and if you're able to go into things with an open mind you're going to experience so much more fulfillment in your life normative thinking is overrated so i keep, I keep hearing open-minded and communication and that's the key man that's got to be the key not lying to yourself not bullshitting yourself and communicating it yeah so very inspiring we'll absolutely thanks Thank guys you. have a great day This has been an awesome 
final episode, but especially with the topic and these guests. What's your biggest takeaway, LeJohn? Uh, seriously, this this has been a hell of a ride, man. This this season, a lot of um, a lot of learning about us, learning about me, uh, myself in particular, and I, and I'm grateful for for that. I'm grateful for you guys. I'm grateful for everybody in this room, everybody who has something to do with the Going There podcast, and um, it's so refreshing to be able to just be your genuine self on this type of platform. And uh, and just also so grateful for all of our guests choosing to be genuine selves and beyond with us. Just the nakedness of the Going There podcast. I love it. Did Brenna and Brian talk you into trying to have a polyamorous relationship in the future? Yeah, I've been texting some people ever since we <laughs> stopped talking to them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Joe's phone blowing up. <laughs> Yeah, it has. I have somewhere to be right now. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, uh, BRB. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about the sex topic. If these things are salacious or scary or icky to you, you know, I think that's okay too. My goal in this wasn't to ask people to strip naked and RV down to Florida or to go swing on the front porch with other people. It was really to come from a place of understanding or even curiosity rather than judgment or condemnation. I think a lot of times the unknown, we immediately become scared of it or fearful. And instead, I think we need to exist in a way in society where the unknown makes us curious. And I think even a few years ago, having had these conversations, I probably would have thought very differently about these people. Whereas today, I'm like, man, these people seem the most fulfilled, happy people I've talked to, you know, in a while. And it's not all about sex. That's the thing about it. It's not all about the actual act of sex. In fact, very little of it is. In the 25 episodes, what is your favorite memory? It doesn't even have to be something that was in an episode. I got my own personal favorite memory of Joe. It's the fucking first episode. Talking about smoking a cigarette backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about that. She just went nuts. I'm like, what the fuck is going on over here? <laughs> she nervous and drunk. <laughs> that was a great little bit there. Cut down to four minutes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I like talking to Ellie. The sex phone operator. Um, I still don't know where you put the phone, <laughs> but I'm hoping to find out soon. Um, it's been great getting to talk to people in fields or with passions that I don't have and uh, learning more as well as ones that I do have and speaking to it and helping illuminate things. It's so different for me because... A lot of times I edit these things and live with the same episode over and over. So the memory of the actual recording is almost like blurry compared to the final thing. But what I will say is like I, I have these like few moments that stick out where it was like emotional in some sense. I remember LeJohn laughing so hard that he like fell on the floor and was holding his side. I think he was laughing at his own joke and it was racist against black people. He's like, he's like, that was so racist. Um, <laughs> sitting there with Olivia as she got emotional and kind of helping her through it. It was just like, there were some moments of greatness where it wasn't even about the show. It was just kind of like experiencing those things with people. In a season of pretty awkward conversations, I'd say, we laughed a lot. Like, we burned a lot of calories on this show, man. Just experiencing stuff live when I could be present and shut my brain off for a minute and just kind of take it in. Some great, great moments and learning moments, I think, more than anything. It wasn't necessarily about changing minds, altering mindsets and all that kind of stuff, man. It was just seeing it from a different perspective. 
hearing it from possibly a different voice, uh, hearing it from possibly a different background and giving it a chance. And I hope that's what our listeners have done, taking the opportunity to, to listen and and have that, you know, damn, I never thought about that way kind of approach. And if, if we've done that to just one, to just one listener, we have done our job. But I think we've done that to a whole lot more because I've heard personally that we have. So that's that's a great thing. I'm grateful, man. Yeah. I've had friends and acquaintances reach out and thank us for doing episodes, particularly on mental health and uh, the privilege episode, which was uh, right in the beginning. You know, and also like all of the musicians that we've had on just thanking us for an opportunity to get some extra exposure and then they'll listen to the podcast and talk about how it was a funny episode or it illuminated some stuff for them. Musicians who we'd probably never have worked with otherwise. That was awesome. The coolest unforeseen perk about this show, I think, is featuring these artists. That was that's been an awesome experience for me. I, I wrote down some I wrote down a thought I had the other day and I wanted to share this because as I sat there and really thought about who it is that we kind of preach about or preach to sometimes on the show. Now, this isn't me vindicating anyone, but as a point of where I need to work on empathizing with people who don't think like me as well, is that I kind of get it. The society that we live in today, it's this whole trying to be perfect but aiming for this thing that's impossible. We're told, eat eggs every day. They're good for you. Oh, wait, eggs are bad for you. But make sure that you drink milk. But wait, don't drink milk because adults shouldn't drink milk. You don't need that much calcium. Are you communicating well with your significant other? But don't spend too much time on that because you need to work hard and you need to climb that ladder. But hey, you're killing yourself, so find that work-life balance. But why are you doing that? You have to go to church. But wait, are you spending enough time with your kids? You need to be a good parent. Get your steps in. It's like... (sighs) I kind of get it. You're trying to attain something that is impossible. And then somebody like me comes along. It's like, you need to start being anti-racist. You need to stop doing this. And I, I kind of get it. So the people who maybe we've thrown under the bus throughout 25 episodes, the thing is, tolerance is a two-way street. I think one of my biggest takeaways is just in listening to myself saying, sometimes I can be more tolerant. I'm striving for such tolerance out of people, and I'm failing to do it myself. It doesn't mean that it's okay to be racist. It just means that there's an easier way to approach it and say, you know what? I get it. Your life has its own pitfalls. We're all in this freaking messed up system. We're cogs in this giant machine. How can we be kinder to each other? And maybe if I'm kind to you, that will inspire you to be kind to LeJohn or to Joe or to Tyler. Like maybe I can find an easier way to bridge that gap to start it out with. That's my takeaway. You can find an easier way than a podcast to bridge the gap. (laughs) (laughs) Seems impossible, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, what I've learned from this season is that we don't need to do this. (laughs) What I've learned is this podcast is irrelevant. (laughs) But ear spelled E-A-R. That should be the name of the show. Season two, irrelevant. (laughs) Really not a bad idea. (laughs) I love a pun. (laughs) I want a second one. What LeJohn said earlier, thank you so much to our guests, our musicians, people who provided snacks, sips, and sweets, but most importantly, our listeners. Thank you so much for helping make this a reality, for providing us feedback, for downloading the show, for sharing with friends. 
it's been an awesome experience, but it's only awesome because of the people who we've connected with virtually, in real life, and everything in between. So thank you so much for those of you who've participated, and especially for those who've listened. And please continue to share your feedback and your thoughts and your ideas with us because that's the only way we get better. And because it's the final episode, Tyler has to say something. Everyone's always been wondering. Right here, and we're out of time. (laughs) (laughs) The man behind the board, Tyler. If you learned one thing from this entire season, having listened to probably 40 plus hours of uh, people talking, have you learned any one thing? No one to tune Matt out. (laughs) Well done. Son of a bitch. You did good, kid. (laughs) Well, folks, this might be our final episode of the season, but there's plenty more content to come, plus hopefully more seasons. So keep your eyes out for more outtakes and excerpts, behind-the-scenes videos, fun snippets, and more. And, of course, as always, LeJohn Woods is here for you. Yes, I am. In more ways than one. For you, for her, for the both of you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, everyone. And thank you again to Kate Tucker for supplying your lovely songs about love. Check out her latest EP, Singles Club. You can visit katetucker.net and follow her on all the socials at Kate Tucker Music and YouTube at Kate Tucker. And keep an ear out for her new podcast, Hope Is My Middle Name. Thank you so much, Kate. We just went there. Now you can go to thegoingtherepodcast.com for links to our socials and all the places you can hear the podcast. Okay, just go, go there. To make it all better, do my thing to figure it out. No message could be any clearer. It's you and me in the mirror. And the world gets bigger when everyone is in it. Yeah, the world gets bigger when everyone is winning. Yeah, the world gets bigger. Our love is forever. So, what did you think about this episode, huh? Huh, yeah? Let us know by leaving a review, sharing your thoughts, and subscribing. And then tell one of your friends, or like all of them. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media, in association with Lindsey Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Cali, and Bobby Thomas. And the world.